Welcome to the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. This episode contains a sermon from July 10th by Brother Todd Burgess, titled Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. All right, it's good to see everyone here uh, this morning. If you have Bibles, open up to Matthew 5 and verse 4. And I don't know about you, I really love to listen to the kids as they read the scriptures and, and others as uh, have led and reached scripture reading. That's always, always a blessing. And uh, as we're looking in Matthew chapter 5, what we're looking at is how to live that spirit-filled life, how to live, be in the fullness of God. And that should be the desire of every Christian, every child of God. And... Uh, as we've seen, going back to verse 3, we, we saw the first step needed to, to live in the fullness of God, to be spirit-filled, was simply to have that, to be poor in spirit. To be poor in spirit. Otherwise, allowing the Spirit, Holy Spirit in us to bring forth a godly humility. All right, It's not something that we ourselves can create in us. It's something God's Spirit creates in us by us humbling ourselves before God and, and all that he wants to do. And so we have to allow the Holy Spirit to work through us to accomplish all that the Father has for us to do. And that first step is that godly humility, that poor in spirit. And as, I, as I've mentioned, these, the Sermon on the Mount, these Beatitudes that are being listed here, I really believe they're a process. Now, and it's not a process that step one, two, three, four, you know, you got to be legalistic about it. But it's a process that when you find yourself not doing one of them, you find yourself not doing all the ones before that. Otherwise, you just didn't all of a sudden sin, folks. Sin just doesn't happen like that. There's a process that takes place in your mind and in your heart that allows that sin to take place. And if we can identify that, that's what's so important. Because then we can learn to trust all that the Holy Spirit of God is doing within our lives. And so now verse, verse 4 here is that second step, if you will, to living out the life that God has for us. And again, these Beatitudes, <clears throat> this is... Really a, a look at how God sanctifies us as Christians. And it's a lifelong process. You're not going to hit all of these and be done. Hey, I've I met it. No, it's, it's, it's a lifelong process. God will take you through, through all these Beatitudes in one area of your life. Then you, you get to, the, to where you matured there. And God said, all right, now let's work on this other area. And you're right, right back at number one again. Okay? And that, that's the way God works. That's, that's, that's that sanctification process. And so in verse 4, it says, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. And again, I mentioned that special word, blessed. Being blessed of God. Blessed. Now, Matthew uses that word, I think it's nine times. And we have to understand what that word means. And so blessed, it refers to one who possesses the favor of God. And yes, I'll be emphasizing this word blessed in nine more messages. 
Because hopefully we will, we will get that reiteration and, and it'll, it'll sink into who we are, who we're supposed to be. And so being blessed is, is that state of being marked by God's fullness, by being filled by the Spirit of God. Now folks, just because you're a Christian and the Holy Spirit lives in you does not mean you're filled by the Spirit of God. I hope you understand that. Doesn't mean you're in the fullness of God. Because what needs to take place is allowing the Holy Spirit of God in you to direct your steps, direct your words, direct your thoughts. That is when you are filled by the Spirit of God, when you are full of, God, of who God is. So a result of being, of having the Holy Spirit in us, being filled by the Spirit, is, the, is that the believer is, is indwelt by that Holy Spirit of God, and they learn to be completely satisfied no matter what their circumstances may be. Now, what we're talking about there is the joy of the Lord. You should have God's joy in the best times, the fun times, and you should have God's joy in the worst of times. Paul and Silas were in prison, were beaten in stocks. They're able to sing praises to God. See, that's having God's joy. That's knowing that the Holy Spirit in us is doing what He has called us to do, and that is to live in God's light. And so our satisfaction comes from allowing God by the Holy Spirit to work in and through us and to accomplish the Father's works. That's what that word blessed is all about. And I don't know about you, I have a hard time living up to being blessed every day as God wants to bless me. And so this is important we're blessed when we're in poor in spirit. Otherwise, we have that godly humility. But we're also blessed when we mourn. When we mourn. See, many times I think when we mourn, even in that mourning, God wants us to experience his joy. And I know that's hard to do. The Bible says in John 15, 11, these things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. See, John wrote that about Jesus and about what the Holy Spirit does for us. That joy isn't something that's conditional based on things of this world. That joy is conditional based upon our relationship with Christ. And how well we are doing all that the Holy Spirit in us is leading us to do. To, to fulfill that joy. And so what hinders us experiencing God's joy today? Any, any ideas? What, what hinders us from experiencing that? What? Alright, focus on the wrong thing. Others? Stuff? I'd say, I'd say it's us. Us. Okay. Us. You're right. That very much. Comparing. Okay. Comparing. Doubt. Doubt. Okay. All these things 
are true, but, that, but all these things are pointing to, point to one thing. Sin. Sin. Our sin in our lives. But not just sin. Okay? It's not just sin. And we have, we have to really grab hold of this. Is that we as Christians today have lost the willingness to mourn over our sin. And those sins that we commit every day, day, day daily sin. I mean, how, is there anyone that, ha, that doesn't, ha, doesn't sin every day? I do. I sin. It might, it might be a thought. It might be something. I mean, we have those daily sins. Now, they're not the big things. I have not, you know, you went and robbed a bank or something or did something horrific. You know, because we, 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 what we tend to do is we tend to categorize sin. I don't believe the Bible categorizes sin, does it? When you look at the Ten Commandments, Jesus, I mean, God put down murder, adultery, lying. Wow, I mean, no, no category with God when it comes to sin. But we do, don't we? We categorize sin. Well, that's, not, that's, that's, a, that's, that's a minor thing. No big deal. We've lost the ability to mourn over our sin. And that's the problem with the church in America today. To mourn over our sin. We minimize it. We justify it. We say it's no big deal. But let me tell you, that little sin put Jesus on the cross of Calvary, caused him to shed his blood because we could not pay the price of, sin, of our own sin. He had to pay it for us. We need to get back to mourning over our sin because it hinders us from being filled by the Spirit of God, by living in the fullness of God. Now, that word mourn, just so we understand it, it refers to a person that bewails or grieves over someone or something. I mean, to, they do it to such a point that if it were possible, they would take, they, they would take it all back. They would, they would get rid of it, restore, whatever it was. They'd do whatever it would take. We'd all want to be like Jesus and be able to raise Lazarus back up. I mean, we, we want to take those words we said back and never, like we've never said them before. I mean, that's how this, this mourning is, this is being spoken of here. You know, we mourn at the death of a friend or, or we weep over, a, over loss. Because, folks, it's more than being just sad or sorrowful. We have to learn to mourn over the sin in our lives as Christians, no matter what sin that is. And because we haven't learned or we've forgotten, we've become callous to the prompting of the Holy Spirit in us, we no longer mourn over those sins. And you know what? When sin is in our lives, guess what? Everything we've done since that sin... We've done in the flesh. We've done in the flesh. And it's not pleasing to God. 
We've done it in our own power, our own strength. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 21 says, And lest when I come again, this is Paul now speaking and writing a letter, my God will humble me. Now, this is important. And lest when I come again, my God will humble me. Now, Paul is dealing with the Corinthian church that had all kinds of problems. Okay? They were referred to as the carnal church. I mean, because just all sorts of wrongdoings, immorality, things that were taking place in the church. The church said, okay, I guess it's okay. But no, this is, this is Paul writing, that my God will humble me among you, and that I shall bewail many which have sinned already, and have not repented of the uncleanness, the fornication, the lasciviousness which they have committed. Now, let's go back to this verse. Lest when I come again, my God will humble me. Now, what is Paul saying right there? Paul is basically saying what he said to the, to the Galatian church in Galatians 6, 1 through 3. He says, Brethren, if, it, if a man be overtaken in the fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. Now, this is the key. Considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Paul says, what is verse 3 talking about? Poor in spirit. Paul says, I need to humble my God. Humble me when I come so that I don't lash out against your sin in, in a wrong matter. Or I don't forgive everything in a wrong manner. You see, this, this is what's important. We need to do everything according to the Spirit of God that, that is within us. So he said, my God will humble me so that I can be able to weep over the sin that's there. I'm just going to use an example. I'm, 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 I'm going to use Jeremy here because, you know, um, if, if Jeremy were, 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 were in sin and I know about it and he's not repentant of it, it should break my heart. I should be on my knees weeping before God on his behalf. I should have gone to him because I know about it. Say, you need to get this right, whatever it may be. And I weep. And it shows that I'm just not crying to cry. You know, there are a lot of good, good actors out there, okay? But it shows that I am genuinely concerned for him. But at the same time, I am not going to sit there and say, well, it's okay, though. You, everyone does it. But I'm also, also not going to come in and say, well, all you wait till I get a chance. I'm going I'm to just grind you down because of what you, I got you now. See, we don't go to those two extremes. That's not what the Spirit of God tells us to do. And one who humbles before, is humble before God, they won't go those directions. Their focus is on restoration of the brother or sister in Christ. Whatever the cost may be to me personally. See, some of us will go so far until it costs us. They'll, oh, not enough. I've done what I can do. And that's what the church is, tends to be full of people like that. Good Christians aren't willing to go and, and do what's necessary. See, Paul understood that he's not better than anyone else. That's why in Galatians 6, 1 and 3, it says, Brethren, if a man be taken in fault, you which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, consider thyself, lest thou also be tempted. But now verse 2 and 3, 
Bear ye one another's burdens. This is, this, this is the price of praying for the brother who is in sin, praying for someone who needs to be restored back in fellowship again. This is the price that you bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something, now here's the problem with so many in church today. This has been my problem several times. My own pride steps in. My own pride gets in the way. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So what keeps us from mourning, what keeps us from being poor in spirit is pride in our walk, pride in our lives, based upon who we are, not on who Christ is. And folks, I see that time and time again in good Baptist churches. Over and over again, we see this. See, how often do we become aware of the sin of a fellow believer, yet we do nothing about it? Take a second. Think about that. In your life, in my life, I had to think about this. How often have I become aware of sin, and I did nothing about it? That, my friend, is sin in your life, in my life. By doing nothing about it, we sin against God. Because God has called us to do what Galatians 6, 1-3 tells us to do. That is your invitation to get involved in that person's life as a Christian. Because you become, about, you become aware of it, you're getting involved. That's what it says. That's what has to happen. But too often we don't do that. 1 Corinthians 5.2 says, And you are puffed up. That's prideful. And have not rather mourned that he that has done this deed might be taken away from among you. See, that mourning there is, 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 is important in a Christian's life. It's important. Because when you put that with godly humility and you put that godly mourning, that godly sorrow that God has placed within us, the Holy Spirit puts within us, it leads us to the right reaction as Christians. We won't go from one extreme to the other or we want to squash the person that's in sin because I don't like them, now I can get even with them. Or to the other side where we condone what they're doing because they're our friend and we just, oh, well, it's okay. No, it puts us in a right place because the Spirit of God is within us and is leading us, is directing us, and we respond correctly. We respond correctly. And so we have to come into God's presence with a humble and mournful heart if we are to receive His joy. And folks, I'm here to tell, us, to tell you today, I've seen it in my life, Many times we don't have the joy of the Lord that we're supposed to have is because we're not responding, not necessarily in our, for our sin, but because we're not responding properly when we recognize the sin of others around us. We're not doing what God calls us to do as a body of believers in Christ. And that's something to mourn about. See, James chapter 4, verses 8 and 10 says, 
Draw nigh to God. See, here, here, here's, the, here's the remedy to everything I've talked about. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. And let your laughter be turned to mourning and your, and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. Now let's go back and look at those verses. Okay? I want to make sure we don't miss anything here. It says, draw nigh to God. You want to know something? God, the presence of God is right where you left him. You don't feel the presence of God in your life? He's right where you left him. Go back in your life and say, all right, Lord, what have I missed? Where's my, what sin? What, what, am I, what am I not doing that I'm supposed to do? And, you go, and, and when you begin to pray, you begin to draw near to God, he'll come and say, I'm right over here. And you come over and say, I'm here because you, you didn't respond over here like you should have. Or you said some things over here to this person that you, didn't, that you shouldn't have said. And so I've been right here waiting for you to come back. Because God doesn't allow you to continue forward when there's things in the past that need to happen. He holds you accountable for those things. And you need to get those things straight. Or he's going to stay right there until you do. Whether it's next week, next month, next year, a decade from now, he's right there. He's right where you left him. So when you draw near to God, he will draw near to you, but he's going to draw you back to where you left him. Understand that. And that's a good thing. But you got to be humble to do it. you got to be willing to mourn because he's going to draw you to a place that you don't want to go to. That's why he says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. We've all sinned. We all sin every day. That's why you can't wait till the end of the week or Sunday morning. Lord, forgive my sins this past week and I'm going to go worship God. That's hogwash. That doesn't work. The Bible calls us to confess our sins, hopefully the very moment we sin. Because I guarantee you the Holy Spirit in you, in me, convicts me of the sin the moment I do it. The moment I think it, he's there. You say, that was wrong. But what happens so often is, oh, it's okay, I'll, I'll deal with it later. We, we minimize it. And if we do that long enough, our list gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And, we need, and God says, I'm waiting right where you left me. We need to cleanse our hands. We need to confess those sins. That means you have to identify the sins in your life. One by one. You sinned one at a time as a child of God. You have to confess those sins one at a time as a child of God. I can't remember all those things. You're right, you can't, but God knows what they are. Holy Spirit knows what they are. It may have been years since you've done a real searching depth, prayerful searching of God. But I guarantee over time, if you're serious serious about it, God will say, here's the first five or six big ones. That you are that you never forgot about, but he'll deal with those. And then over time, he'll begin to bring the other ones in. If you stay close to he'll continue to bring these other ones in. I recommend you write them down. But then here's the other part. This is, this is the hard part. Confessing sin sometimes can be very easy. But to show true confession, it says, purify your hearts, you double-minded person. 
Purify your heart. You know what that means? It means go back. You've confessed this sin. I've wronged Jeremy. I've confessed it before God. I don't want to go to Jeremy, though. That's what the Bible says. If you wrong someone, you need to go to that person. Don't send them a text. Don't call them on the phone unless they're out of the state. And that's the only way you can get a hold of them. But you need to go to them and say, I was wrong. They may have been 90% wrong and I'm 10%. I don't care. You can't do one of these confessions where I'm here to, to, to apologize to you for everything that you did to me, but I'm here to apologize for you. That is garbage. That is garbage, folks. You go up to that person and say, look, I said this and I did that. I am so sorry. And you never even bring up what they might have done. Because that's not your place. God has to work on their heart. You deal with what you did wrong. And here's, a, here's an example. I, I love Zacchaeus. I'm sorry, I just do. See, Zacchaeus, he cleansed his hands and he purified his heart. You want to know how he did that? Well, he said, Lord, if I've wronged anybody, you know, I, 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 I'm sorry. I, I confess that before you. But to prove that I'm genuine, Lord, if I've wronged anybody, I'm going to go to that person. I'm going to pay them four times what I took from them. Now there is real confession. So if you bought someone's lawnmower and broke it down, well, I'm sorry, here you go, you piece of junk anyway. No. Go buy a new one. Here you go. You know what happens? God begins to do miraculous things, not only in your heart, but in the hearts of those around you. See, not only do you identify the sin, but you right the wrong that was done, even though it's going to cost you. David said, King David said, no, I can't take this, 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 this vineyard. I can't do that. This is for God. I can't sacrifice anything that hasn't cost me something. You can't bring anything to God unless it's cost you something. You can't even confess your sins before God unless you've gotten to the point where that sin has cost you and you're willing to do whatever is necessary to write it in your life. Then God says, ah, I can, I can deal with that. That's why the Bible says here in this passage in James 4, 9, it says you have to learn, you have to be afflicted, you got to be mourned, you have to weep over your sin. And again, that's what we as church, as Christians in America, have, have not, we've either not been taught, we just haven't done. We haven't done. He says, let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. You know what's happening with our, with our laughter and our, and, our, and, and, and our joy nowadays? Because it's tainted with sin in our lives, whether by commission, which sins that we commit, or omission, sins that we should have done that we didn't do. Because, our, because we're, it's tainted by sin, our laughter is nauseating to God and our joy is nauseating to God because it's tainted with sin. That's why in verse 10 it says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. See, we need God's 
lifting up, not man's. Not man's. We need God's. But we're only receive God's lifting up if we allow the Holy Spirit to do his work in us where we have that godly humility with that godly sorrow, that godly mourning that takes place over our sin, now God can lift us up and put us right where he wants us. Now we are in, on the path of being filled by the Spirit of God, living in God's fullness, doing what the Lord wants us to do. We're doing his work, his way, not my way. See, we need God's uplifting. See, it's only those who mourn over their sin that are in a position to repent and confess their sin according to the truth of God's word. And it's only those individuals who have received that uplifting and have the joy of the Lord in their heart that's genuine. No matter what circumstances may be surrounding it. And the Bible says, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Those are the ones that are comforted. And comforted, very simple, it means to exhort in a way of consolation, to encourage, to console, to lift up. And now God is going to lift them up. Have you ever genuinely repented of a sin and you meant it? And you did what was necessary to restore it? And all of a sudden... All that guilt, the weight, it just, it's just gone. Doesn't mean God's going to restore, take away any consequences. We understand that as Christians. Sometimes sin has consequences that are going to come. But now we can face those consequences with the Lord Jesus at our side. But that weight is gone. Jesus said, take my cross upon you. It's light. Why, why is Jesus' cross light? Why are we to bear his cross? Because we've gotten all the garbage out of our lives that needs to be gone. See, the comforting that God gives enables us to continue forward in His work. But until that has happened, until we have learned to mourn for our sin, His work has stopped in our lives. It stopped. Because we've been in the flesh all that time. But once we've learned to truly mourn and, and God has uplifted us, now we're walking in the Spirit of God. You see, when you're walking in the Spirit of God, you're filled by the Spirit of God, you don't have to worry about what you're doing is right or wrong. You don't have to worry about, is this God's will or not? Wonder why? Because it is. Because you're walking in the Spirit of God. It is. Because if it was not... Holy Spirit's going to convict you of sin. It's that simple, folks. It's that simple. 2 Corinthians 1.4 says, Who comforteth us in our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble, by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. That's an interesting verse, folks. We can't comfort others until Christ has comforted us. That's what it says. 
The reason we are to have godly humility and godly sorrow or mourning in our lives so that we have that fullness of, of the joy of God is so that we're able to comfort them which are in trouble. And the comfort we give won't be too little and it won't be too much. It'll be just right. See, too many times as Christians, we, 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 we want to get involved and relieve the troubles people are in and we do so too early. Or because we don't like them, we do so too late and it causes even more harm. But when you're in the Spirit of God, it's just right. 2 Corinthians 7, 2 verse 7 says, So that contrarywise ye ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. See, it goes back to that Galatians 6, 1 verse, that godly humility comes into play. You know, you who, who are more spiritual, you know, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering ourselves. See, that's what we're supposed to be doing. See, when, when true brokenness is shown for sin, and this is what we need to look at. Well, when do I get involved? When you see true brokenness in a child of God's life, that's when you get involved. When you bring someone and the Lord's laying on someone's heart that they need to get saved. When do they say the sinner's prayer? Not until you see true brokenness of their sin do you give the Lord's prayer to them. I'm sorry, all this easy believism garbage out there. You know, Jesus is your Savior, just pray and accept is trash. Okay? It's trash. People cannot get saved until they have a genuine broken in their life because of sin in their life. That there are sinners, they are born sinners. And they confess that. Then they can receive the justification from Jesus, what he gives on the cross, but not until they recognize God's judgment on their sin. Folks, the same thing is true with the, with the Christian. There has to be true brokenness. And when you see that true brokenness, and that means that true sorrow, they've righted the wrongs, they've confessed their wrongs, they've restored, done, done what they need to do to get things right with those relationships that they've broken, now come, come by and now put the arm around, now encourage, now uplift, because that's what God's doing for them, and that's what you do as well. 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 7 says, Therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you in all our affliction and distress by your faith. What's Paul saying there? Everything that the Thessalonians were going through, they were going through hard persecution. But because they're faithful, guess what? Paul, who was in prison, says, Oh, you don't know how much I was comforted by your testimony. See, that's important. See, everything I'm talking about here talks about a ministry that every child of God is to be doing. Every child of God does this ministry. And so what ministry is every Christian to do? It's the ministry of reconciliation. That's what every Christian is to be doing. But what is so many Christians not doing? The ministry of reconciliation because we've lost the ability to mourn over our own sin. 
See, this allows <clears throat> you to do the ministry of reconciliation for those around you because your heart has been cleansed and your sins have been forgiven and you have been restored by God. You have been lifted up by God because you've done what you're supposed to do. And now you can meet the needs of those others that are hurting. And you can show them the path to take. That's what's important, folks. That's what's important. You don't have this passage on the screens, but Second um, Corinthians 7 and verse 10, as soon as I turn, turn to it, is a very important passage of Scripture. You know, I was wondering why things go so slow sometimes trying to turn a page. It says, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. See, godly sorrow, that's, that is what we're looking at here. It's not a sorrow that you can create just like the humility that talked about the poor in spirit is not a humility you can create or I can create. I can't create this godly sorrow, but God can create it within me. And then I'll want to do the steps necessary. And you'll see the fruit of 2 Thessalonians 2.17 where it says, Comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. See, this is where we see the fruit of the Spirit. And we experience that divine nature of God in us, where our joy and our laughter are pure before God, because our hearts are pure before God. We have mourned over our sin. We've humbled ourselves. And God now is able to do in us something he could not do before. He can do it now. So let me ask you a question. Is this the relationship? Is this the relationship that you want with Jesus? Because if you do, he wants you to have this relationship. He desires this relationship. He mourns for this relationship in our lives. But the first step's up to you. We have to humble ourselves as Christians. We have to right the wrongs, admit our sins, begin to mourn over the slightest sin in our life, and then God, through the Holy Spirit in you, can begin to do His work. But until then, it'll be the same old, same old, and nothing's going to change. Let's stand and pray. Thank you for tuning into the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. For more information, check out our website at gbcak.org.